this morning I was reading to get I was reading the scriptures we would be reading together from uh, the lectionary. And the, the lectionary again is a Bible reading plan that Christians put together a long time ago, so that the church around the world could be reading the Bible together. And so the scriptures you heard read today were likely read in all kinds of churches across the valley and around the world, including even things like Roman Catholic churches and Anglican churches. I mean, churches where they wear all the super cool clothes and someone preaches kind of looking like Darth Vader, which is awesome. If I had my choice, I'd be dressed like a Jedi right now. Right now, absolutely. And that's awesome. And then God, if he would invent a lightsaber, whoo, right? But all kinds of all kinds of churches um, have read those scriptures and listened to them together. I want to read and have us just listen to the text from Luke again, our new our gospel text from this morning. It's from Luke 12, and I'm going to broaden it out just a little bit, and I'm going to start reading from verse 22 and go through verse 40, which is adding about 10 verses or so to what we. Uh, yeah, 10 verses to what you have already heard. So you can feel free to follow along with me. I'm going to be reading out of the uh, New International Version, this English translation. Just for fun, what language was this text originally written in? Greek, right? Koine Greek, 2,000-year-old Greek. Okay, so your translation might have a little bit different wordings. That's because things are hard to translate from one language to another. Okay? But more than anything, I want you to listen to what Jesus is saying. Let me set this up. Jesus has started his ministry. He's recruited some guys. Some guys have bought into him and are following him. Jesus is doing unbelievable things. He's preaching a message that is mind-blowing. Just mind-blowing. And on top of that, he's doing miracles. Stuff that is just making people just stunned and speechless. He's proclaiming a message that is just, if people believe it, it changes everything. And he's healing people and casting demons out of people. And then he's sending, he's training his young followers and sending them out. And they're going out and doing the same thing. The whole world, their whole region, is being shaken by what Jesus is doing. And people are trying to figure out, well, what are we going to do with Jesus? And so a lot of people are coming to him. Thousands are, are starting to, to gather to him and believe what he's saying. And then other people are not so sure. And then all of a sudden, things look like they're going really well, and then they go south. All of a sudden, Things are not working out the way that they thought they would be. If you were if you were one of those people that attached yourself to Jesus, you said yes to Jesus, and you have you have kind of left your family and you're traveling with him and you're doing what Jesus is wanting you to do and you're learning from him, all of a sudden you come to this point where the leaders of the people are now starting to turn against Jesus. People that you thought were going to like go, yeah, all right, the Messiah here, the guy that's going to fix this all, the guy that's going to put the brokenness back together. These leaders are now all of a sudden turning against Jesus. So much so that there's some of them 
a good number of them, a good number of respected leaders in the community, are turning against Jesus and have made up their mind that they need to find a way to kill him, to arrest him. Things are not going very well. If you're one of those disciples, you're thinking, what did I get myself into? This is turning into a giant mess. Then Jesus, after leaving, after he, he, in, let's see, where is he doing this? In chapter 11, in chapter 11, he's having dinner at a Pharisee's house and he pronounces seven woes. This is not a very popular sermon that Jesus is about to give. He's in direct confrontation with these leaders and he's calling them out on their stuff publicly. They are not happy with him at all. Not happy. And yet, crowds of thousands gather to Jesus, and Jesus is trying to tell them about the most important stuff in the world, and yet people in the crowd get distracted by every small problem that they think they have, even problems that are pretty significant. Like the text we read last week where random interruption guy interrupts one of Jesus' sermons, to say, Jesus, tell my brother to split the inheritance with me like he's supposed to, out of nowhere. And Jesus is like, what? Tells him a whole parable about a dumb rich guy who makes a foolish investment because he's not rich toward God and loses everything anyways. Then Jesus turns, he's in this crowd, he turns to his disciples, people like you and I, turns, and I can see him turning, He's talking to the big crowd. He gets interrupted by a random interruption guy. He tells this parable about the uh, foolish rich man. And then he turns to his disciples, people like you and I, and says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food. The body is more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than the birds? Who of you, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Since you can't do that very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They do not labor or spin, and yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. And this is our text for today, or where, where it was read by Cheyenne. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. 
Sell your possessions. Give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not, that will not be exhausted. Where no thief can come in and no moth can destroy. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning. Like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth. He will dress himself to serve, and will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the second or third watch of the night. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would have not let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Let's pray. Lord, we are your disciples in this room. As far as I know, everybody here has said, yes, we want to be your followers. Life for us is also complicated. It's also filled with pressures. It's also lived out among a crowd that is clamoring to have their needs met. It also is lived in a world where there are enemies. where there are people and forces that are against you and against your people. We also live our lives out in a world where things don't always seem to be working out well or going the way we would expect them. And it's hard to understand and it is so confusing at times. Sometimes we... find ourselves going back and forth between anger and depression and bitterness. Where we wonder what in the world did we get ourselves into because choosing to follow you hasn't always made our lives easier. May you give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you would be saying to us, your disciples, through this text in this moment. Amen. One big idea. One single big idea. Can I get... Now, you guys might not know this. Some of you do. Some of you don't. But I grew up in the hood. I know you're like, dude. You're like a 35-year-old white guy that says dude. But I grew up in a, in, a, in a rougher part of town in my youth, and I used to listen to Dr. Dre. In fact, Nick and I, we were driving up north to go fishing just the other day, and for some reason I just decided I needed to listen to Ain't Nothing But a G Thing, baby. And I did. And I knew every word. 
there was this part, I think, in G thing, where Dr. Dre says, what's he say, never, he says something to the effect of never get caught slipping. You ever heard that phrase? Now, for, for Randy, I'm going to have to clarify it. <laughs> oh, yes. Dr. Dre, his show comes on after Dr. Oz. <laughs> Dr. Dre, the, 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 the musical architect behind greats such as N.W.A. and who else? Jeez, who? And Eminem. And on and on till the break of dawn, C-O-M-P-T-O-N, and the city they call Long Beach, putting the stuff together, right? <laughs> so, but never let them slip, because if I slip, then I'm slipping. And if I got my Nina, then you know I'm straight tripping, right? Yeah, that, that was how it goes, right? Now, what's it mean to not, not get caught slipping? Now, if you're not from the hood, <laughs> and I don't know who would know this. It means when, when you're slipping, it means you've let your guard down and your stuff is going to be gone. Somebody is going to take advantage of you. So you don't want to get caught slipping. Getting caught slipping means you just kind of live in la, 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 in a world where there are real predators and where there are real dangers, right? So like when I was a, when I was a kid, um, carjacking went ballistic in Southern California. Carjacking was the thing to do, right? Did any of you, I mean, I'm totally dating myself and proving my street cred. Any of you guys ever seen the movie Menace to Society? Right? There's that whole scene where there's this guy driving up in Burger King or wherever, and he, the guy comes in the passenger side, puts a gun to his head, and, and tells him, break yourself, fool! And order me a cheeseburger. <laughs> right? In broad daylight. So when I was a kid, and I still do this to this, I still do this to the day. When I pull, when I'm like, when it's nighttime outside, and I'm driving my car or whatever, I come up to a stoplight in an area where I don't know, I stop the car and I look around. Why? I don't know how many carjackings happen in Arizona, but I just don't want to get caught slipping. Because if you get caught slipping, you're going to lose your car. And you can lose your stuff. You know what it means to have to break yourself, fool? It means they're taking your wallet. They're taking your stuff. They may take your pants and put you out on the street in your chonies. Right? You don't want to get caught slipping. Now, if Jesus was teaching today in the neighborhood I grew up in, he might have told this parable a little different. And at the end, he might have said, don't get caught slipping. He's saying... Don't be afraid. You always got to have, you, you got to be looking around and being ready. Don't get caught slipping. Don't get caught slipping. My question is, could we be slipping in here today? Now, Jesus is not talking about just getting your stuff jacked. He's talking about, in the ultimate, the most important sense he has summoned you and I to be his followers and has entrusted us, entrusted us with what is most important to him. One another and his mission to, to 
his mission to reconcile the world to himself and to each other. It's important stuff. It's important stuff. When I'm looking at the last part of this text, he says this. Now, let's read it again. Just listen. He says, be dressed and ready for service. Keep your lamps burning. Like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes in and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. And he goes on from there and he ends it by saying something like, if the master of the house, the owner of the house, knew when the thief was coming, he wouldn't have let the house get broke into. How many of you guys have ever been robbed before? Me. What an awful feeling, right? By your own kids. Oh, well, every parent can say that. <laughs> I've been robbed, and it's an awful feeling. And you know what? You only you typically get robbed when you're not expecting to get robbed. If you were expecting to get robbed, you wouldn't get robbed, right? You wouldn't go there. You wouldn't, like, I left my doggy door open. I did not have my doggy door properly secured. And so a tiny, tiny person snuck through my doggy door, opened the front door, and let in, um, yeah, the guy I nicknamed El Grincho. Albert De La Torre. I hope you're listening, brother. He got caught later. It was a glorious, glorious day. But I wasn't expecting to get robbed. I think Jesus is saying to us, in this life, there is this certain amount of surprise. A certain amount of surprise that comes with being his followers. A certain amount of not always knowing. When I look at what Jesus is saying here in this text, I'm thinking, what would make a person slip? What would make a person let their guard down so they get caught um, with, so that they get caught asleep on the job, so to speak. What would make a person, what would open a person up to losing what's most important in life? How would we, how can we avoid this? I think one, I think the first thing, and I'm going to just point out some things quickly to us looking at what Jesus is saying here, I think we need to remember whose house this is. And I'm not talking about the physical building. Whose house is this? You know, I hear, I, I hear a lot in America, we love our individual rights. And that's not a bad thing. I love my individual rights. Right? I like to demand my rights. I have the right to life, liberty, the pursuit of happening. Happening. <laughs> Happiness. I have the right to life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. I, you know, I see things. I have hopes and dreams and things that I would like to accomplish. But the truth is, is that when I became a follower of Jesus, when I became a follower of Jesus, my life now belongs to him. My life is not my own. It's bought with a price. Now, I think God loves us and wants to lavish good gifts on us and wants to give us good stuff. But I'm pretty sure that myself and other followers of Jesus just sometimes forget 
whose house this is. We forget what this is all about. Like, giving an example, Jesus might have told the parable a little like this. And this is a true story. It's awful. There was an 18-year-old guy who was working at a place manufacturing boat trailers. I knew this guy very well. His name was Ron. Not in this room. And Ryan, <laughs> Ryan had a friend on the job who was going on vacation. And the guy didn't want to leave his house without somebody in it while he was on vacation. So he wanted somebody to house sit. Anybody else been there? Need somebody to just stay in his house and watch his dogs and do that kind of stuff. And so Ryan said, yes, I'll, I'll watch your house for you, no problem. The guy packed the refrigerator so there was enough to eat. The guy had cable TV at the time with all these channels, nice backyard, beautiful furniture. And Ryan went and moved his stuff into this house where he was going to be staying for a week. Now, as the week went on, Ryan at first did a good job of taking care of the house. You know, he would make sure the dog was fed and make sure, you know, he did his dishes and keep things relatively clean. And then as the weekend came and the cycles were humming, Ryan's friends came over. And then Ryan's friends invited their friends over. And then in the night where things got entirely out of control, the house was filled with people. And Ryan didn't know who most of these people were. But these people were on all the furniture in every single bedroom. They were in the backyard. Some of Ryan's friends invited some friends that liked to graffiti on everything. In the morning, about 4 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning, this is how you know where I was, I was awakened to the sound of the front door opening. And the owners of the house showed up. I was personally sleeping in the owner's waterbed. <laughs> this, both sinks were filled with dishes. There was garbage and aluminum cans everywhere. The house smelled like smoke. And as the sun came up, you could see the entire neighborhood was graffitied everywhere every light post every available brick wall everywhere and worse than that somebody had clogged up both toilets and failed to unclog them and people kept using them so there was <laughs> they were full to the top Yes, Ryan is still alive, and he's, he's happily married. <laughs> the owners of the house walked through, and as I was asleep in this waterbed, the door opened, and a guy that I have never met in my entire life peered in at me and said, Hey. <laughs> And then he searched around the room and people sleeping on the floor until he found Ryan and said, 
You guys had a party, huh? Needless to say, Ryan's friendship with this guy was over. That guy, I went to work at that same boat trailer place. And that guy hated me from the moment I got fired my first week into it. Sometimes we forget whose house this is. Sometimes we forget what our role is. Sometimes we start to think that this is really is just all about us. Sometimes we forget that when we become disciples of Jesus, we serve him. Yes, there is a certain sense in which he serves us. But it's really about him. It's really his priorities become our priorities. And he has entrusted his most valuable stuff to our care. One another, his mission. This is the stuff that is most valuable to him. And it's like for a lot of us, when we start our Christian journey, we start it off well. We say yes. We're like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm coming in. Kind of like we're house sitting for Jesus, except way more serious than that. And at first, we start, we take care of the stuff, and we do what we gotta do, and we watch out for things we should watch out for. We take care of what Jesus cares about the way we should, and then it's like as time goes on and on and on, we forget whose house it is. We forget what's really important. We forget what this is all about. We forget that this gracious God has graciously welcomed us into his space and given us everything we need. Sometimes we forget that he will return in the grand sense of Christ's ultimate return, but also he returns all the time. All the time. He shows up at moments that surprise us, moments that we wouldn't expect in circumstances and situations through people. We go through our Christian life and say, well, he's just taken, he's just taken too long. And we stop caring. And Jesus says, I think Jesus knows that about us. He understands that. He understands our tendency to do that. That's why he's looking at us as disciples, people that have said yes to him and said, hey, I know your tendency is going to be to slip. So, but don't. Don't get caught slipping. Don't get caught slipping. The text tells us that if he finds us about his business, Tori is a great house sitter, by the way. Tori house sits for me a lot, even though she was house sitting for me when my house got robbed. But I was the one that was slipping, not her, because I left the doggy door thing out. I didn't have it properly secured, so thankfully she was not in the house when it got robbed. She house sits for me all the time. You know what's so awesome? It is awesome. It's like the greatest thing in the world. Tori's house sitting for me. I don't, I'm awful. I know it's, I know it's not good. But I know that when I come home from wherever it is that I'm at, I'm going to walk into a house 
that is swept clean, if not mocked, from wall to wall. All beds will be perfectly made. There will be no trash anywhere, not one dish in the sink, and I might open my refrigerator to find my dirty, my dirty refrigerator shelves have been spotlessly polished. You know what? It's so awesome that when I go anywhere and I know she's house-sitting for me, I make sure to pick her up a coffee mug. <laughs> what I get you this last thing? Oh, we got your perfume. Yeah. It's like Jesus is... <laughs> it's kind of like Jesus is saying that. He's like, in the text, he says, how good it will be for those people whom the master finds taking care of business while he was gone. Jesus says the master will be so delighted that he'll clothe himself as the servant and say, sit down, and he will wait on his servants. In other words, that at the end of all of this, in, in a moment that is surprising, and I think lots of surprise moments on the way to the grand surprise, Jesus is saying, it's all going to be worth it. It's all going to be worth it. Saying it's all going to be worth it. I know that you get tired and I know you get scared. And I know you worry if you're going to make it. And I know you're worried if you're going to have enough food or clothes or you're going to get what you want. I know you're worried about all that stuff. I know you're scared. I know... You want to get distracted and give up. I know that you think God's showing up way too late at times, he's saying. But if you just stay about his business at a moment that's going to surprise you and blow your mind, you're, the master is going to show up in your life and show off in your life, and it's all going to be worth it. Yes. You didn't say it's going to be easy. He didn't say it's going to be nice. He didn't say we're always going to like his timing. I've heard people say, God's never early, but he's never late. He's always on time. And I'm saying, bull! My experience is God's never early. He's never on time. He is always late. Right? He just doesn't, I mean, yeah, he, he, sometimes he does show up early. Sometimes he is on time. But man, when he's late, whoo, that just gets my blood going. And he, he's okay with being late. It's like in, when Jesus is telling the story here, did you see the, 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 how he set it up? It's like servants who are guarding and watching the house, taking care of his house, while the master goes off to a wedding banquet. You know how weddings can run? Now, now, I'm not trying to get crazy, but I don't think Jesus was going to, like, a white people's wedding at a suburban country club. Because those might get done at a decent hour. I think Jesus was on his way to a Hispanic <laughs> wedding that at 2.30 in the morning you're going to hear, Can I say that? <laughs> I, I used to live in that neighborhood. I'm telling you, 2.30 in the morning, you know, 
2.30 in the morning, some drunk uncle gets up on the mic and he's like, <laughs> and he starts yelling stuff in slurred Spanish. And somebody busts out a trombone. <laughs> and there's an accordion playing. I mean, those weddings can go long. It's like Jesus is saying to Master, Master's going to one of those weddings. And if you're watching the house, you could be like, man, there ain't nothing on but infomercials anymore. I'm so politically incorrect. <laughs> Sorry, that's just the neighborhood I lived in. But he's saying if you hold on, if you don't get caught slipping, man, in the end, one way or another, the master's going to show up. You're going to be surprised when. You're going to be surprised how. But it's all going to be worth it. And when he expresses his appreciation, it's going to be like nothing you have ever known in your life. Stand with me.